0: We Thrive. I am Sandra Primo
1: and I'm Tammy Salas
0: and we are the Unruffled. Hello Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several
1: ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the Unruffled Podcast. And that's
0: not it. You can share our show on social media, or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to the show.
1: Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. How are you on this fine day? I'm okay.
0: I'm okay. Um, yeah, we were chatting before we started recording. Just a little... Some little things around the remodel that need to be fixed and um but you know what besides that I'm okay mm-hmm. I'm um trying to look at what is right in my life right now <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh-huh
0: that's yeah. good that's
1: positive you know that exercise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the focus these days because everything is just such a shit show. So Yeah, yeah. it's easy to see. <laughs> it's easy to
0: point out the many dump- dumpster fires going on. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, so I'm trying to look at what is right. And there's a lot that's right. So
1: yeah, that's true. How about you? Uh, well, I'm not on high alert anymore. The fires um, are somewhat being contained. Oh, Um, good. Last week when we talked, when I interviewed you, it was at zero containment, and we were like two days into the fires up here in Northern California. So um, I put on my blinders that day to just talk to you, but it was it was a mess, and it was very anxiety producing to be on Mm. high high alert, you know, the whole time. Yes. Yes. So um, we eventually got some containment over the weekend, and um, and that feels better. Um, And you know, I'm getting messages from friends who. their uh, evacuation orders are canceled and they're moving back into their house. So that's good, but it, oh, was, good. it was very scary for a while there. And I really had to work hard last week to kind of keep my emotional sobriety. And I just pulled out all the tools <laughs> and threw the book at it and kind of, uh, you know, with food and with rest and with other exercises and just an art, I just kind of just put my nose to the grindstone. Just that I need to work hard this week. And, um, and it got me through.
0: Yeah, because that's all you can do, right? Yeah. I mean, in that kind of situation, you need that adrenaline because you may have to flight.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So it serves a purpose. Oh, oh, for sure. You're right. Like to be ready. But my mind just goes vacant when it happens. Like, I'll probably grab those shoes and that plant. Right. (laughs) And I'll grab the bills I need to pay. That's what I did last time. I grabbed my bucket of. Files that I have by my dad. See, that uh, would be
0: like I
1: would just that would
0: just burn to the ground. I would not be like fuck that shit. Yeah, Sorry, I just I'm starting off the day with uh, language.
1: <laughs> oh, it's gonna be that kind of interview. I like it. <laughs> Bring it, Sandra. I'm ready for it. So, anyhow, yeah, back getting back to normal. My kid wasn't home with me all last week, which was the first time you know, that, that he's been a week at his dad's and then now he's a week with me and we're going to do that back and forth. So last night we had a family dinner. We're going to do family dinners on Tuesday nights. Oh, nice. And it was really nice. And, you know, Grady requested that my son, and it's nice that he's kind of advocating for himself for what he needs through this um, divorce. And um, I realized last week, I really missed him. Um, And so I went and had dinner with him. Besides the family dinner, I I invited him to a dinner another night and went out there and picked him up and we had dinner on the coast. And I thought, I think I might do that. Maybe I need to come and see him another time during the week just because uh, I miss him. Yeah, but so everything, he's home, the fires are, you know, kind of getting handled and I feel a little more at peace for sure.
0: Good. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, before we start, is there anything you want to promote or talk about? Anything you
1: have coming up? Um, No, just, I've been trying to get people to sign up for my newsletter so that I can kind of, I'm just tired of, (laughs) of promotion. Like the hustle
0: is, it is hard. You get tired of hearing
1: yourself, but at the same
0: time, yeah, it's part of owning a,
1: a for sure the creative business being yeah, an entrepreneur <laughs> i think i'm taking a new approach it's not new but for me what's resonating with me right now with my business and promoting it so so if people want to sign up for the newsletter it's com and it's on my homepage there but um just the whole idea of attraction not promotion i'm completely going to embody that i feel oh sure i feel like i'm just uh it tires me it really taxes me mm-hmm. and um And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try that for a while. I'm going to put some stuff. My newsletter seems to be the easiest way. People are already signed up for it. Maybe they're interested in what I do and, um, and just kind of quietly go there. So I'll have some offerings in September, but I'm not, I'm not ready for it yet. So yeah, but you can sign up and then you'll hear about it when it happens. What about you?
0: Uh, you can also sign up for my newsletter. Um, if you go to the I, um, definitely talk about, well, whatever's on my mind, actually. <laughs>
1: I, love, I really am a big fan of your newsletter, Sandra. Thank you. I Thank really you. love them.
0: I think the most um, thing I'm, the, the aspect that I'm most proud of with my newsletter is I'm pre- pre- fairly consistent with it. And because um, I just love the engagement. And so there's not Usually not a hard sell on anything, although though I do link you back often to my website and what I have going on. But um I just like the engagement. I love it. I love yeah. sitting down there and I feel like um Sarah Jessica Parker from <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Sex in the City. <laughs>
0: from Sex in the City, oh. you know, and she's like writing to whomever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. It feels very personal. And, um, and I like that. And you're such a good writer. So yeah, people don't get your newsletter, definitely sign up. And it's not like any newsletter that I get. That's why I like it. I don't get letters. I've really, um, called out kind of my, who I receive newsletters from. And I only save the ones I really love. So it's like you, Amanda Grace, Austin Cleon, um, Tracy from Shutterbean and like maybe a few more but I I don't get many. I only get the ones I really love.
0: Yeah, yeah, same, same. I need to do that. That reminds me. I need to go. It's time to edit newsletters. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um anyway, so same. Sign up for sign up for our newsletters. Yeah. Um okay. Well, I am excited for this conversation today. So if you listened last week, um, we're talking about our recoveries and how each of ours has personally evolved. And, um, I kind of shared my evolution last week and now it's your turn. I can ask a question before you start.
1: Yeah. How did that feel to have your, um, your story out there in a new and updated way? Like, did you get a little vulnerability hangover? or I, was You that? know, I did, but it
0: wasn't, it wasn't, um, on the content that I shared. I, mm-hmm. I really, you know, I, I've said that I thought I was, had been transparent and I think I have, I haven't been completely direct. And mm-hmm. so that was an opportunity to be very direct and, um, I appreciated that very much. So I didn't really have, the vulnerability, hangover about the content of what I shared. Mm-hmm. It was more like at the time that I was speaking, I felt a little mired in my own word soup, you know, when you feel. Right. When you come out of, <laughs>
1: I'm going to feel it today. Yeah, I get it. <laughs>
0: when you come out of an interview where you're just like, you've just been talking and you're like, what did I just say? You know, I felt like I was swimming in just word. Glop, yeah, and um, so I felt a little bit of that, and I don't always go back and re-listen to our interviews, but mm-hmm. I did, of course, that, and and I was like, no, I, I think I, I said what I, I, I think I was pretty clear. So anyway, I felt good about it, um, after I
1: re-listened. Well, I liked it. I liked it a lot because I felt like it gave the listeners and for me too, to have more information, um, being your friend and and co-hosting the podcast. And, and, um, you know, we do only talk about once a week now because we do the podcast. That's kind of when we catch up. Um, and so I've missed, I know I've missed a lot of what, of your evolution and kind of the behind the scenes. So it was fun for me just to ask you the questions and have you share. And uh, I know we've gotten great feedback from it. So I hope you have too. I have,
0: I've gotten really good feedback and I really, really appreciate it. It's certainly not anything that I needed validation for, but it's always nice when your message um, resonates with somebody. And so, um, yeah, so, and that, that's definitely happened. Um, okay. Well, I am so excited to talk to you about your evolution because I know that some things have changed and I don't know everything everything either. Um, you are, you're pretty transparent, but, um, I don't know. I'm sure you've had a lot of internal shifts that may not be apparent on the outside. Um, and like we said before, we both, um, recorded the beginnings of our journey at the very beginning of the podcast. Mine was episode two and yours was episode three. And so if our listeners want to go back and listen to that first, even you can kind of hear where Tammy started, but I still want you to, to tell us, you know, the beginnings. Um, What was your impetus for just abstinence even being done?
1: Yeah. I I did not go back and listen to my interview because I just couldn't. (laughs) So I just didn't. Um, But For me, the impetus kind of happened the year prior. You know, it was kind of like that lead up. It was quietly working on me, this recovery, and seeing people recover out loud. There was some kind of little knowing inside of me that knew I should probably ease off, but I definitely didn't want to name it, Sandra. Like, I didn't want to say I need to quit drinking. But I kept finding people that were talking about it, and so I would read about it. I would... um, I would uh, follow their blogs. I would uh, follow them on Instagram kind of quietly. And I share that because I think a lot of women do that before they're ready to quit. You know, we're kind of oh, following yeah. the breadcrumbs, right? Of other people that have laid down that we're just kind of going, oh, that's how they did it. They seem pretty, S- pretty out there. Especially now, right? Mm-hmm. Especially now that it's so, people's stories are so available yeah. to us. Yeah. So that was really 2014, that whole year. I know you were sober that whole year, but I was kind of investigating. I was kind of in CSI mode, as I call it, like just trying to figure out, just trying to figure something out. It was, uh, we talked a lot in in your episode about intuition, and I definitely can name it now that that's definitely what it was. I was following my gut, but I didn't know why or what it was or where it was going to lead me. Right. But I was I was listening to myself more often than I wasn't at that point mm-hmm. in time, so that kind of led me to um, you know I think I've told my story before I had a big I had a big drinking uh, escapade for five days after Christmas in 2014 that was pitiful and uh, I got drunk every day <laughs> watching uh, the Roosevelt miniseries all by myself on PBS my family was gone. And I just woke up pretty down and out and the, the impetus for me, I got to January one, which is, I love January 1st. I like kind of that reset button and I picked a word for the year was shed. And that would, that would really kind of guide me for Mm -hmm. the rest of that year. I knew I wanted to shed some things, but I I still, I didn't think it was going to be alcohol. So drank through the month of January kind of had a big night that I had a fight with my husband and, you know, woke up and, and just like, I, like you said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like I couldn't have put those words to it, but that I just felt depleted, wrung out. I looked horrible, Sandra. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just looked so parched. I looked and felt like I was just dying. You know, my hair was falling out. And my arm was numb all the time, my left arm. My heart. The waking up in the middle of the night, beating myself up until sunrise. Like that. It, it's so funny to me now that my last drink was on Groundhog Day. It, that wasn't on purpose, of course. But that's what it felt like. It felt like this Groundhog Day, and I was just. I just wanted to take like a nap. I didn't want to die. I wanted to take like a month long nap. I thought that's what my body needs. Is like. Like I need to just sleep for 30 days. I can relate to that. So the next day after Groundhog Day, I went, I had a physical scheduled and that really, I sat in that, that room and decided to tell as much of the truth as I could muster up. Instead of writing like two to three drinks I drank a week on the intake form, I wrote like 21 because I was counting how many Manhattans I had. I didn't count any wine. I didn't count any after dinner port. I didn't count anything pre-dinner drinks, I just counted the Manhattans that I was having and I was having three double Manhattans a night. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, you know, 21 and in actuality, it was kind of double that um, because they were doubles, but uh, that was a lot of alcohol. And so I put 21 on my intake form and kind of sat there with the clipboard in my lap, like now what's going (laughs) to happen? You know, like now what's going to, I wonder what's going to happen when I go in there. And so it really wasn't premeditated or planned um Other than the year-long kind of existential thinking, like, "Hmm, what's this person doing?" You know, they seem like, you know, they seem pretty brave to remove it. I don't feel like I can. I I was pretty dependent on it at the time. So that was really it. Um, she she was gracious with me, and she um asked what I drank. You know, and kind of took it from like this little standpoint, like, "What do you drink exactly?" And I was like, "Oh, bourbon." And she said, okay, well, let's look up what's in that. Oh, that's corn. And corn turns to sugar. And, you know, and then she just kind of um, addressed it like um, an elimination diet challenge for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And asked if I would remove alcohol first. So I just think like the slowly, it was like a year long process for me. I was still, of course, drinking my heaviest then. But I think just kind of thinking about how is the choices I was making, I realized I was starting to hide it. Hide it from my husband, hide it in decanters, Mm -hmm. hide it when I would buy it. I knew that it wasn't right, but Mm -hmm. nobody was fucking going to tell me it wasn't right. Except for, except
0: for. Oh, sure. Sure. (laughs) Well, I have two questions then. So, you know, aside from just being sneaky about the drinking, were you secretive about your, um, sobriety searching on the internet?
1: (laughs) Uh, try to, did you ever erase your history? No, no, I don't even know how to do that. So no, I I wouldn't know how to do that. Uh, no, I wasn't secretive, but I was definitely curious. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I didn't talk to my best friend about it. You know, Mm -hmm. she's she's a gal I partied with a lot. Um, so I, I felt very alone and like I had a secret world that I was in. Mm -hmm. And it kind of was like my own little secret, uh, research project.
0: (laughs) Right. Cause see, I never did that. And that's why I find that so fascinating. I never, I did not take any of those tests. Mm -hmm. Uh, are you an alcoholic? I didn't, I think about maybe a year before I got sober, I found, I stumbled upon someone's sobriety story and it was a blog or something. I can't even tell you who it was. Mm-hmm. I just sat there for hours reading all the passages. And then I, but I was looking over my shoulder the whole time to see if anyone was watching ah. me, you know, read this because to me that would have been some kind of admittance that I had a problem. Right. And then I immediately erased my history. <laughs> my search. Well,
1: I, I used to read. I think I've shared this before. I used to read um, Aiden Donnelly Raleigh's blog, and it used to be called Ivy League Insecurities. And she did a year without wine experiment. And you know, I read it, and then when it got to the year of her at the end, I was like, "Oh, what happens at the end?" <laughs> like, and then she went back to drinking, mm-hmm. and I was deflated, and felt like, "Ah, oh, so okay." So I need to find somebody that stayed stopped. And I had actually befriended a friend online who lives back East and she had done some writing and I reached out to her because she had written on Instagram, like that she was five years sober. And this was like January. This was like the month before I quit drinking. And I reached out to her and I said, I read, I read what you wrote on Instagram and that you're five years without alcohol. Like, do you have any other writings? She sent me her whole Google doc system of everything she's ever written on about not drinking. Wow. And I devoured that that month. And that was, I think, kind of the impetus. Like that really helped me, I think, probably nudge me towards that door.
0: Right. Because you have to see somebody else that maybe sort of looks like you
1: doing it. Yeah. And it was, I was so grateful to her for it. Mm. And she really was generous. And um, as I find most people who are, who stop drinking are yes. like, they'll share that with you because they it's understand. part of
0: being in service
1: too, right? Yeah.
0: yeah and yeah. she definitely
1: was. And well, I appreciated then, it.
0: What, what was the, what made you show up to that doctor's appointment and actually tell the truth on the intake form, like actually write down. How many drinks you were actually drinking? Because I never did that either.
1: Yeah, um, it was divine. I think, Sandra, not to say too great out there. No, I've got my divine stories too. (laughs) Yeah, I said that was not my plan. But once they handed me that intake form, I just flashed back. I had like an instant flashback to like every time I'd ever written on that. I wrote had two to three drinks a week.
0: Yeah, same. Such
1: a fucking lie.
0: Oh yeah. I lied. And my doctor knew I was lying. She- yeah.
1: I mean, it was so far from the truth that I guess I felt, and something I, I say often now, like I don't, it felt like I was cheating on myself. I felt like, why? Here's this medical professional. That wants to help you. <laughs> wants to help me. <laughs> that is a female that I come to every year and we make little chit chat, small talk, and I don't ever tell her really what the fuck is going on with me.
0: They don't ever get a
1: chance to, to help you right? when you're not telling the truth. I wish I had told the whole truth, but like I said, at that time, it was only as much of the truth as I could tell was telling her 21 drinks a week. Right. She looked very surprised. I'm sure she, I mean, (laughs) she looked and then she composed herself. So as not to shame me, I'm sure, but I wish I told her the truth because I really, I was detoxing at home. I'm sure that was dangerous. I was waking up in yeah. pools of sweat of you know, oh, same you know I, yeah, yeah, so that wasn 't safe. I wish I had told her the truth so that she I still think she should have referred me to an outpatient program at kaiser she didn't, and I don 't know why she didn't, but maybe she thought it would embarrass me, or maybe i don 't know what she thought, but they had those resources, and she did not recommend them, and I wish right. I had told the whole
0: truth right um you're right because detoxing it can't is is can be very dangerous. Um, detoxing from, from alcohol. It's one of the substances that you can actually die from.
1: It's that serious. My my brother-in-law died um, at 49 years old. Um, when he tried to quit drinking and it was a horrible way to die. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very dangerous. If you are, you know, physically addicted to it. And I was, um, I wouldn't have told you that at the time. I wouldn't have put that together, but with all the years and, you know, looking back, yeah, I was, I was, I was physically addicted in the end.
0: Right. And I mean, I'm not trying to be a generalist, but I think often doctors, um, aren't, uh, very well educated in addiction and they, you know, they kind of use their best judgment, but, um, they, I think they just don't, I just think they're missing information.
1: Yeah, and I go back and see her every year on my um, sobriety date mm-hmm. as best I can. Sometimes it's fallen on a weekend. Um, and and when I came back on my one year, she's like, "You still haven't had a drink?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, "No." I mean, I reported back for that eight week elimination diet that the only thing I could remove was alcohol. I never could remove gluten. <laughs> I could never remove sugar. Right. Or dairy at that point. Yeah, I pretty much knew like this is fucking it. Like this. Yeah. This is the thing that has to go that I have to focus on.
0: Right. Turns out this is the, this is the
1: problem. <laughs> yeah. This and it's going to take all your energy. <laughs> right. All the things that we were trying to figure out what was wrong with me over the few years prior to that, you know, um, it was all alcohol related. So yeah. um, I don't have to go and see the doctor as much or take as many medications or try to troubleshoot like I used to because um, alcohol helped remove a lot of that. Yeah.
0: So, so what did you do from there? I mean, what, what, what did you do daily um, instead of picking up a drink? Because, you know, it's hard getting through like pause, post-acute withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, the s- symptoms of that um, are very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. it's often the thing that makes, many of us relapse or, you know, go back to drinking because it's very hard to get through, um, those first couple
1: of months. Yeah. It was very lonely and very scary and kind of like, I just gobbled up anybody that was talking about not drinking. So that's where I started following. Um, I had already been following Laura McCallan online and Holly Whitaker and reading and devouring every word that they wrote. Um, uh, I was just hanging on for dear life, Sandra. I didn't have any kind of plan or um, I was just winging it. Mm. And um, for me, very, very quickly, I knew that I needed to divert my attention and focus to something because otherwise I was just going to obsess over not drinking couldn't really talk to my husband about it because he didn't understand. Like at at a weekend, like I'd quit drinking on a Tuesday, went to my book club on a Thursday and it was at my neighbor's house so I could walk down to it. Didn't drink, chose not to drink. I am like, I'm going to do this. It's been two whole day, three days. I'm not going to drink tonight at book club, which was a big thing. <laughs> and I remember coming home and telling my husband, I'm not going to drink. And he just, you know, I, not that I'd ever said that before, but he just... It, I was tired of my behavior. Sure. he was like, all right. And he didn't seem like he believed me. And that hurt my feelings, even though it shouldn't have, because, you know, why would he believe me? I I kind of was letting him down in a lot of departments. And so I thought, well, I I see these other women writing about it. I'm going to write about it. And so I started cataloging my sobriety journey on month one, kind of like Aiden, when I had been following Aiden's blog. Now Aiden is sober now. I want to say that like she has sustained sobriety and and she attempted it again. um, But at that time when I first started following her, that's when I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to write about it and maybe that'll keep me accountable to myself. And you were writing about it where? I was writing about it on a blog. That okay. I had I'd been writing on a blog since 2008, so this was in 2015 when I quit drinking, and so I just thought I'm going to do kind of what she did. She did a year without wine, is what she called it, and I'm just not going to call it that. I'm just going to do a blog post every month. So I did on the third of every month. Um, it was like my own personal assignment. I started writing about my journey and what I was trying, how I was feeling. It was just like a place to dump things, and. I was looking at those last night in preparation for this and it's on my website, um, under writing, it just says sobriety milestones. And I've written, I wrote about every month for two years, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote about it every six months. And now I haven't even written my five-year post, (laughs) but it goes Mm -hmm. up to four years. And I think like, I I liked reading about other women's experience. So I thought, well, I'll just write mine. Mm -hmm. And so it really has morphed and changed. Um, in terms of where I'm at and I'm sure my language or how I talk about things now, but I kind of like that. It's just what it was. And I, I won't, I won't delete those. I'll just leave them as they are. Um, so, so for me after I quit doing that, that was nice a way to stay tethered and kind of keep, keep on track with myself. But I also knew I needed way more than that. Now, did
0: it feel like you were white knuckling or did it feel like very much? Oh, so you didn't experience any sort of relief or any pink cloud or anything like Not that? Not at first.
1: No, I would say for the first couple of months, it was really, uh, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, every day at four o'clock was hell hour, right? Like every day at four o'clock, I would eat like a whole container of chocolate covered raisins.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was going to ask, what did you <laughs> do instead of drink? Because uh, that, I think that's... Um, this is how you do it, right? You have yeah. to replace the behavior. Mm-hmm. So you
1: ate chocolate covered raisins. Every day at four, I would make dinner. That was a hard time. Making dinner was a hard time to do that. Yeah. That's when I started the drinking. Um, I wasn't a morning drinker. I wasn't a mid-afternoon drinker. I I just, I drank every day around four felt reasonable to me. So that was a hard time. Um, I also took, as as we like to talk about it, the Silkwood showers, um, like the hottest shower in the world, just to scald my skin and my heart and my soul. I just felt like I needed to beat myself up a little bit every day. And um, and then I came out feeling new and, uh, and reset. So I would take a lot of scalding hot showers in the beginning and I slept a lot. Mm-hmm. And did you, were you
0: making any art at this time? Was that helping you?
1: Um, I was still doing, I had a daily project that I had started in 2014 where I was making art every day at my kitchen table. And I continued that practice into 2015. So every day I was painting or drawing in my journal. And I have to say, I think that, that really led me, Sandra, to the year prior, the 2014, the year before I got sober. When I finished that project of, every day making art, it felt like the first time since I could remember that I, I kept my word. Did mm, you made a commitment and then mm. you, you honored that commitment. Yeah. And so I definitely went into 2015 and I did it a little differently. I think I started doing two pages. I took up more space, which was interesting because before I was just doing a half a page, like, Oh, that's all I could commit to. And, um, 2015, I said, I'm going to take up, maybe it was just a page and maybe I eventually went to two pages, but, um, I made another commitment to myself and I would do that every morning as I woke up and I would make art at the kitchen table with my coffee. And, um, I, I think a month into my sobriety is when I decided I was going to go back to college because the hole needed to be filled, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? The hole in my life of what I spent, shopping for alcohol, planning dinner parties, executing said dinner parties, and then recovering from my hangover. Like it was a lot of time. Right. And so going back to college, I started the process and I I find it interesting that that's what I went to, but it was the thing. It was like a month. I think it was a month sober. And I was like, I'm going to figure out the administrative red tape to go back. I had attempted to go back to college, I think three times prior in my life. And I never, never did it. So mm. that was really important. And I was also training to hike four mountains, um, in the, in the cascade region of the Pacific Northwest. And so I was training with a girlfriend. So that kept me on task that kept me knowing that I was going to be training several times a week, that I couldn't be hungover. that we'd going on, on major hikes with the kids. And so that was kind of the beginning. That's kind of how I how I had some accountability to myself to try to stay the course, but it it was hard. Those first eight weeks were really, really hard. But I'm sure that like moving
0: towards that, like you probably felt like, uh, you know, that that was some kind of growth. If you could just hang on to that forward
1: motion a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: It was very, uh, you know, we've, t- you, you, we've talked about like personality types and Enneagram and something about me that I knew was that I, me having these rule following tendencies, me wanting order, um, the accountability in those ways. I I knew that I needed that. I needed a like calendar. having a schedule and yeah. yeah, it helped. Yeah. I knew it helped kind of ground me, I guess. And, uh, and because i i really i really wanted a col- uh, to get my diploma and i really wanted to do that to show my kid it was important that i kind of show up in a way that i hadn't been showing up mm-hmm. that he see me do something other than just have cocktails and drinks on my deck with my girlfriends four days a week you know right. like i needed to show him something a little bit different i needed to show myself and so but but training i trained until august and then August, the first week of August is when we went to do these mountains. I mean, the metaphors are just endless, Sandra, for this, right? <laughs> Climbing these mountains. And so um I summited Mount Lassen on my six-month sobriety birthday with my good friend and our children, my godchildren. And there was something about that summit. We we went before, I mean it was dark out. We went for sunrise. Um, my friend had the children all write me letters before we went on the trip. They had, she had them write me letters. Oh my gosh. And oh, I'm going to cry. They were so beautiful. I bet. Um, and she brought this big glittered banner that said, I rock. <laughs> and she bought me a, ti- a tiara. <laughs> like she really celebrated me. And that woman, oh, that's been, wonderful. She, and she, oh, she's, she's just the best. And she, um, She was very, oh, I I want to tell this story. When I was on the trail um, hiking, when we were training, um, you know, this poor woman had to listen to me (laughs) in all of the beginning of my recovery, right? She was my, she and these hikes were the way that I could bounce some ideas off of her, right? Get some things, purge my soul a little bit. But that's a lot to lay on one person in your life, you know? And I remember when we were training towards the end, I was telling her how I felt like I wanted to go back to drinking after we did our hikes. And I said, like, I feel like, I feel like I got this now. Like, I feel like I can moderate. I feel like, you know, I've done all this work. I've gone back to summer school it was my first semester and it was sociology and I loved it. And I feel like we're climbing these mountains. I feel stronger than ever, super powerful. And she just stopped me on the hike <laughs> and like looked me right in the eyes. And she's not one of us. She, she, she has an occasional glass of wine. She definitely does not share my problem. And she just stopped me on the trail and she looked at me and she said, why would you want to do that? Mm. And I said, well, you know, to moderate, I can moderate. I bet you I can moderate now because you know I've had all this time and reflection. And, and I said, I feel like I just need balance in my life. Right. <laughs> I just, I feel like I could be a balanced drinker. That's what I kept saying. And so she paused and she just waited and she, and she said something that I will just never forget. She said, do you feel like your life is balanced now that you removed alcohol? And I thought about it and I said, well, it does feel pretty good. It feels really good. She says, why would you need to add alcohol back in? It seems like by removing it, you finally have balance mm. that you never had before. Mm. And she seen me drink. <laughs> so right. she knew. And that 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 got in there. What a good
0: friend. I don't think yeah. yeah. I think that's a rare um experience. If you're not, you know, if you're doing it um without a support group like, you know, like AA or any other kind of um support group. I think it's a rare thing to have a friend that can hold that space for you all that time and give you honest feedback. What a gift.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful for her. I've been friends with her for almost uh, 30 year, 20, 25 years. And so we continued, you know, our hikes and, and, and did the things we were going to do. Summiting um, Lassen was nice. It was very doable. But I felt like on top of the world, you talk about the pink cloud, I was on the pink cloud. I felt like I could do anything, I felt invincible. And when we climbed up to John Muir's cloud camp on Rainier, which was a 14 hour day round trip, um, with metal crampons and vertical ice fields and just the hardest thing I've ever done in my life next to having Grady. And I felt high as a kite. And unfortunately for me, I started thinking about drinking again, right? I, I really, even though she'd had the pep talk, even though I heard her, I just thought, no, I am way more powerful. So this act, this kind of exercise of doing this, I felt just like, I understand what she's saying, but I feel like I really still got it figured out. <laughs> right. And so I came home from that trip, Sandra, and I read blackout by Sarah Heppola mm, and such no, a good what does it say? Remembering the things I drank to forget. Mm-hmm. I read that book and devoured it, and it took me to a dark place, and th- it was that month, it was that limbo between the beginning of August and my birthday on September 1st, and I was thinking, "Ah, oh, my birthday's coming, I really want to drink, I really want to celebrate, I really want champagne, I think I got it figured out, and so I wrote about it on my blog for my seven month, and a former yoga instructor read it and reached out to me and told me like, have you ever tried 12 step? And I was like, I don't know what that is exactly. And I didn't, I didn't know that phrase as a 12 step. Uh, and she's like, it's AA. I was like, Oh yeah, no, I took that quiz and I'm not an alcoholic and all of that. And she was like, I still think it would speak to your personality type. Like I feel like I know you well enough to know, like, I think it, it might speak to you. Hmm. and so she said do you think you would she's in another 12-step program so she a different one and she says I just really think it would work for you and I said well I'll give it a try and she said yeah well you try a meeting and I said sure and she's like and then tell me about it it was the best way to recommend someone go to a 12-step <laughs> like I loved how she did that like right Let's try it out and then tell me about it afterwards because mm-hmm. I just been reading your writing and then my seven-month post I put like maybe I am an alcoholic I just read Sarah Heppel's book I I didn't understand I was a blackout drinker until I read that book. I didn't understand about the hippocampus shuts down and looping and repeating stories. And that was me. Mm -hmm. And you're awake that you're not passed out. You're right. You're just the lights are on, but no one's home. That was me. And so it was like this little magical thing that was happening. I was so grateful that I was writing so that she read it so that she Facebook messaged me, you know, she doesn't live around here anymore. I used to do yoga with her years ago. And so she was like just like this angel. So um, so I went and I hated it. And then I was intrigued by the shares of people. And I was like, I'm going back to listen to more of those. Like, I can't believe people talk like that. (laughs) I can't believe people admit things like that. So I was very much a voyeur in the beginning. That's really what got me in the rooms, was was being a voyeur. Um, so that was like at the beginning of September. And, so you, yeah.
0: so really it was just like you had no other reservations. You just were like, this is, I'm curious about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm I was embarrassed. going to keep I mean, did it make you, did you feel like, you know, um, did it feel like another point of resolve to stay sober or was it um, you just were really um, answering a um, curiosity? Well,
1: I think I had been, um, I knew that Laura McCowan um, was doing 12 step. I knew that Holly did not do 12 step and had written pretty adamantly about, um, the rooms, about how it didn't work for her. I was really curious. So I kind of more went in with curiosity. And curious about the other people for sure. There's, there's some characters in the rooms, right? It's just this little microcosm of the world and it's in this tiny little room. And I, um, I started seeking out meetings, but what hung over me, Sandra, was a little bit of the stigma, not a little bit, definitely the stigma. So I would go find meetings in far flung places. <laughs> so nobody right, would know you me
0: live in a small town.
1: Yeah. So that nobody would know me. And, um, I had been a very active member of my community. It's a small town. There's a thousand people in Bodega Bay. There's a hundred and something in our town. Um, I I didn't quite know what I was going to make of going into the rooms, but I knew that I liked it enough that I started making time for it and talking to my husband and saying, Hey, can you take Grady to the bus stop or school today so I can hit that 7am meeting in town? because I was waking up so early in the beginning because I was going to bed so early and just really mending my body, right? That's what we're doing. We're trying to get all that sleep and defog our brain. So I started asking for more help from my husband to make, um, so that I could go to like three meetings a week. Um, but I was mainly just fascinated by the people and I heard my story every once in a while. I would hear someone say something
0: I wonder if, too, the fact that you like having a schedule mm-hmm. and that's your personality you you respond well to um to a structured sort of day. I wonder if that for sure um, also worked with you and and um it you liked maybe having
1: that on the calendar for sure i I looked at my week and I mapped it out as to when it could work. you know I couldn't be every day. Um, and then some people like just started inviting me to go to women's meetings on Tuesday night. So I'd ask my husband, can Tuesday night be the night you make dinner? Like I was asking for help in a way that, uh, I hadn't before. Like it was this, this little tiny nudges of trying to ask for some help. And he did. And they, Tuesday night became their night, but, And they still were doing it up until my son started to drive. But it was nice. It was like that Tuesday night was guy night and Tuesday night I would go and get some um inspiration I went to a speaker meeting and I would hear women talk um from all walks of life and all different stories and all different lengths of sobriety and I just love that I that I love hearing about the human condition and I love reading about it and I love I love it you made me think of something else was it um
0: you know we're s- moms wives sisters daughters were so overly sacrificing? Did it feel like too, that maybe you were, um, you know, taking that time out for yourself? Did that feel like you were finally like taking back some, some power and some, you know, uh, uh, self-care even like, I'm going to take this time for myself.
1: Oh yeah. And, and it was intentional. Be a little selfish. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to college really, um, every class I took felt like, I mean, I was learning so much about, uh, like, when I took my history class, I had no idea. I just had no idea about so many things that I did not learn in high school, right? And I, um, I was always the oldest person in the room. Uh, almost all of my classes, I think for one or two, my professors, I was older than all of my professors, um, I think, for, except for two in the end. Um, but I really, every class became like a, a metaphor for sobriety. Every single class, you know, I talked about math for how many years? Two freaking years I took math. And I learned so much beyond algebra, (laughs) beyond, uh, you know, quadratic equations. Like I learned um, that math calms me down. I learned that it brings me um, peace in a very weird way that I never would have imagined. I learned, uh, I took public speaking classes and speech because I wanted to be able to speak up at meetings I wanted to be able to do this podcast with you. I wanted to be able to do events if we were going to do events. So I like took public speaking classes. <laughs> I, I just approached it. Like it was my own. I got to make my own little uh, recovery, you know, and college was definitely part of my recovery um, plan. It definitely fed into um, and bolstered me and felt like self care for sure. Yeah, It took me four years to get through two years of college. I did it at my own pace, uh, became very good friends with my art professor and she's my mentor and a good friend now and found a community there. I like community, Sandra. Like I like to find it, create it, be part of it. And I think that's kind of what I've been looking for my whole life when I was getting baptized a lot, you know, in different churches and trying to find it. I never found it. And as, as, as hard as it might be to hear, you know, some people might go, that's, this sounds crazy, but AA was that too. Um, The community of people who shared my common problem was very comforting for me. Was it perfect? Oh God, no. (laughs) Um, But the world's not perfect. And so when I approached the room said it's, it's like, uh, it's where I get to practice how I'm going to be out in the world. It's where I learned how to share. It's where I learned how to um, try to have some compassion for other people. It's where I learned tolerance. Still working on that. Um, it's where I learned like just more about myself. And I, it's interesting because when I look back, even when I'm talking to you right now, my meeting meets uh, now online, but it used to meet in the mornings and we, it was a circle. That's how I knew it was going to be my home group. It met in a circle and they turned the lights off for the shares. So it's typically kind of dark when the meeting starts and it felt holy. It felt like we're at this church. It felt like people deposited their darkest secrets or most vulnerable shares into the center of this circle. And I felt like they just kind of were laid to rest there for an hour. Mm. I really liked that. That really made me feel um, safe and it made at the time and And it made me feel, um, part of, and I realized my whole life, that's what, that's what I longed for. Right. Um, I have since found other ways and groups and things to bring me that feeling, but I'll always be very grateful that I, I found it there and that it helped. It helped me a lot in the beginning just to stay put Mm. and to kind of just That was like another school for me. I approached my AA meetings. I still do, like I'm going to school, like I'm there to learn. Well, so
0: as a lot of us know, and some of you may not know, you know, there's a difference between the community of AA and then the program of AA. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you know or how did you come to decide that you needed to get down to the business of the program of AA I was
1: curious I was curious by just listening and just hearing people who had talked about the 12 steps and it's a little bit elusive I didn't look into them too much and um but I was <laughs> I was driving around I remember at my Tuesday night meeting Sandra they used to talk about they would go to tacos afterwards But they would never say the name of the business because they don't do that, right? You don't promote other things inside of AA meetings. So they would just say, see me after the meeting. You know, the person who was like, knew where the tacos were. Right. (laughs) And um, because I... Delusive tacos. (laughs) It was. I would go to meetings and I would sit in the last row, in the last chair nearest the wall, like a wallflower. And if anybody talked to me, I cried. So that, I was just tender and raw and felt like going into a women's meeting that had 80 women in it. It was a lot. It was just a lot for this gal. And I remember somebody complimenting me on my sweater once and I just burst into tears. But what happened is I started, like, I I would drive around after the meeting and go, where do they go get tacos? Like, where do they go? Not going to ask for help, Sandra. Not going to ask for help at all. And um, finally, one night, a gal to me after the meeting, she said, "Um, are you going to tacos? And I said, yeah. And she's like okay good we're all walking over we'll meet out front and i was like oh that's where okay where did they go so i just <laughs> i followed like i was a little duckling right just followed sat by myself um felt like i was on fire um and this nice woman who had spoken that night who had like 35 years of sobriety she came up to me and she said hey clearly she knew i was new she hadn't seen me you know you get to know your people at your meetings and she said, hey, do you have a sponsor? And I was like, yeah, I don't I don't know how people do it. Like, how do you do that? Because, you know, they didn't really talk about it in meetings, how you get a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, well, you look for someone that has what you want. And, you know, you usually ask them. She's like, but, and then this woman was sitting next to me and she's like, do you have any sponsees right now? And the woman looked at her and like, they exchanged like this glance. Like, I didn't know they knew each other, but they were sponsor sponsee. <laughs> so the sponsor who's talking to me knows that this woman doesn't have a sponsor. And, and, and the woman said, no, I don't have one right now. And then the other woman, you know, the, the lady kind of leading this whole shenanigans, she was like, um, do you have any kids? And I said, yeah, I have a son. He's 11. She's like, Oh, so do you to the woman next to me. Let's try working together. (laughs) Like matchmaking. Yeah. Matchmaking for sure. Yeah. So that's how it started. I didn't fully know what I was signing on for other than I'd heard people talk about it. Um, I didn't believe in God. So I thought that was going to be a problem. I didn't think it was going to work for me. Um, my, my sponsor, she's still my sponsor. Uh, she just took me through the steps and we did it at our own pace. And, uh, someone once said like your sponsor sponsors you like an accordion. And I said, what does that mean? And, she, and so that like they pull you in when they need to a little bit and then they let you out to live your life, right? And you just kind of, when you need them, you guys pull back together and then, and, and hopefully you'll keep that kind of accordion relationship for years, you know, and um, that's kind of how we've worked it. My sponsor knows that I've done many other things. I was taking hip sobriety school when I, um, when I first, when I was just a new member to AA, And I wanted to try refuge recovery. Like I wanted to try all the things. And my sponsor, I, after I finished hip sobriety school and I was about ready to kind of dive into refuge, she requested that I wait and suggested that I finish the 12 steps first and then go explore. She says, I think if you just can get through the 12 steps and then of course go, but if you're kind of going everywhere, you'll, you'll probably not finish the 12 in a way that you know, might satisfy you, that you might reap the benefits from it. And I think that was a great suggestion for me in Mm -hmm. the way I, I need, I need it. I do like following a structure. I always kept my appointments with her. I kept my word. That's what I learned about in getting sober was keeping my word that became really important. So I did dabble in some other things. I've gone to refuge recovery meetings. Um, but really, you know, as time was going on, like other things were happening, like going to She Recovers conferences. And um, I started working with other women. And something that really I did want to make sure that I shared this is that when I started working with other women, I had a really hard time with the big book and the language in the big book, and how patriarchal it is, and how it was written in the 30s by men to, you know, have ego busting for men. And really that their egos needed to be deflated and it was written for men. And I incorporated uh, the women's way through the 12 steps by Dr. Stephanie Covington into the way that I worked with women. My sponsor didn't take me through that book, but I was going to take my sponsors through it. And that really helps me stay in the program, that book. Mm-hmm. It really helps me focus and know that it's not just when I get annoyed by language, um, in the big book, I, I supplement it and I go over there and I hear women's stories and and she helps kind of deconstruct that language in a way that I can understand.
0: Right. Cause it's tailored for women. Yeah.
1: By a woman. Yes. And there's a workbook that goes with it too. So I work with that with my sponsees and it's helpful to kind of guide them through.
0: Yeah. Well now what, what if you what if you had a sponsor that was more rigid, Mm -hmm. what do you think you would have done? I probably would have bolted. You think you would have found another
1: sponsor? <sighs> That's hard to say. Hmm. It would just depend on where I was at because my emotions were all over the place all the time, Sandra. Like I didn't. I,
0: I think I'm more specifically talking about you know when you shared with her you wanted to kind of explore and mm-hmm. you know because there are some you know there's a lot of members of AA that are really um, they're really by the book and they yeah. don't have a lot of room for outside, um,
1: influences? In the beginning, I think I would have bolted because, uh, a little bit on black and white, right? Like, I feel like that I would have, I think with my thinking back then, um, I would have assigned her rigidity to the whole program, right? Right. Everybody is like that. And there's a saying in there that's like, that's principles over personalities, but I don't think I had enough sobriety or experience in 12 step to understand that for the first couple of years. I think I probably would have left now. I mean, I have to say, to be honest, I often fantasize about leaving and there's something about it every time I fantasize about maybe leaving the program or like, Oh, maybe I got this. I figured this out. I have found my own way. I found my teachers. There is something about it that I, I can't quite put my finger on like, I get called back because I do like hearing the stories of other people and hearing about how they, again, the triumph of the human spirit, it really moves me. Mm -hmm. And I I do like that as well. Yeah. And I like being of service. I, I realized recently from talking to you and just having some time this summer that I was overdoing it. Wanting to be maybe worthy because I was giving so much of my time to the program. And since even just talking to you a few weeks ago about that, Sandra, I feel differently again. And so at AA meetings, they talk, they always say at the end, a kind of this rote saying, after we say the serenity prayer, you know, keep coming back. It works. Well, I don't say that. I don't chime in. I don't chime into anything that people say at the end of meetings. (laughs) I, I kind of have this weird thing where I don't, I don't recite things. I don't, I don't, it feels very uh, well. They lose their meaning, right? Yeah, yeah. They so they kind do. So when they say that at the very end of the meeting, I wait till they all say, you know, "Keep coming back at work." So I just say either in the meetings I used to say it quietly to myself, but on Zoom I can be heard now. But I just say, "Just stay," because I need even when I feel like fleeing, I learn something about myself in those meetings. Um, and so for now, I still take it like a classroom. I still take it. Or, uh, I, I just—it's like it's just like my um, my little program I've created for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, when I get up in the morning, I do my morning routine. I do my meditation. I read a prayer. I make my tea. I pick my theme song. I come sit at my desk and I log into like my twelve step school. And right. they do a reading every day. And then I. I extrapolate on that reading or it prompts me to go get other books to read or after the meeting is when like, I go, okay, I'm going to make my gratitude list. And I'm going to, when I think about things, oh, my dog's barking at the trash, man. Sorry. Hey. Okay. (laughs) Um, So it's really, um, I know that when you talk last week, you said it wasn't your foundation, but for me, it is my foundation. Mm -hmm. It's my foundation because it's, it's pretty sturdy. It's helped me kind of It's given me permission to speak up. It's given me permission um, to show me how to share. It's given me um, a place to practice, I guess, is the main thing. So it has a lot of things that are wonky about it. And some things I'm currently struggling with inside meetings and this new Zoom format. um, Some things are outside of my control. I know I can't control people, places, or things, and that's what I've definitely learned. But it has given me this kind of foundation to live my life that I I needed, I guess. I needed – I don't guess. I needed it.
0: And, and, a, and I think it's not – you're not alone. I think a lot of people thrive in a really tight structure mm-hmm. that is – that um, because there's a lot of – you can f- – when you know your limitations, even if it's, you know, the schedule of your day, um, that can, that can um, unleash a lot of freedom.
1: Yeah. And, and and even just like learning more and more, I mean, like you shared, Sandra, I could change my mind tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I I could leave the rooms and figure like, I'm going to find a different way or that I feel like it's, it's stirred me up enough that I don't, need it anymore, I, I don't know. I, I could definitely change my mind and change, but I think what I started recently, I think it's been the last year and a half or so, I started not identifying as alcoholic in the rooms. Uh, I, I think this is important to share for women, to know that you can call yourself whatever you wanna call yourself in the rooms, any person mm-hmm. can. And so for a long time, I took, my cue for me was that I, I would listen to other people, how they introduce themselves, And I realized that if I said my name, Tammy, comma, alcoholic was lowercase a, not I am an alcoholic, that seemed important to me. It felt like I was quietly reclaiming something like, yes, I drank alcoholically. That is why I'm here. I realized people introduced themselves um, so that to inform the room. Why are you here? Alcohol was my problem. Um, When people say addict, I know that's a controversial word for people too, but when people identify as addicts, I know that it was alcohol- and some, some other substances. So that you don't have to explain every time you share, and it's just an economy of language. And so I didn't get really hung up on, um, on that word, but I do feel like it can be like a scarlet letter um, that, that, that people feel like they have to wear, like a big capital A alcoholic. And so I didn't feel that way, and so I would always introduce myself Tammy alcoholic and do my share. And about a year and a half ago, I started calling myself a sober, dignified woman in the meetings. And something about that just freed me up, Sandra. Mm. It just helped me claim and reclaim a part of myself so that my story wasn't stuck in all the sad and the hard and the mess. You know? Yeah. It, it was more empowered. Feels right. Empowered. It feels like it's in a solution. Yeah, and when I started doing that, I noticed that I started getting dressed up for meetings. I started having more dignity for myself. I started self-care. I was also, you know, my marriage wasn't great, so I was starting to take care of myself in different ways than I hadn't before. I felt like I was healing for so long, just like this intense healing, and all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, it just felt like I was blooming. Which which it should feel that way, right? Yeah. It should feel like a joyful experience, not all the time. Yeah, it is. And so I looked forward to my meetings, and I looked forward to having coffee afterwards with people. Uh, I just – I started shifting and changing in a way that I really – I'm really grateful for my life. I'm grateful that alcohol delivered me here and that I could kind of – have some kind of an awakening you know? mm-hmm. and and I think art definitely helped me channel that going back to school, helped me channel that. Um, being a more present mother helped me understand like what was important in my life and what I had been neglecting, but kind of owning that saying, not calling myself an alcoholic really felt, it felt a little daring. I have to say in the rooms, especially with men in the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but other women would come up to me after the meeting like, Oh, I wish I could say that. I'm like, you can actually, <laughs> you can, they're like, well, no, cause you say that. I'm like, anybody can say it. Like, are you? Yeah, you are. You didn't drink today. Like, yeah. Get your dignity back. And that's, that's definitely what I feel like I have. Um, I have my dignity back. Well, I think uh, that you
0: are um your story of and your experience in AA, I think you are a just a, a, a model of how you can be in a program and make it your own. Mm.
1: Yeah, because who wants to be told what to do? <laughs> Those are the reasons like as you say, like I got thirsty. Like people yeah. telling me what to do make me a little drinky. Um And I got to speak up. And even when I didn't get along with people in the meetings or people said things that hurt my feelings or, you know, those things happen. I remember going to a meeting, Sandra, and I know I've shared this with you because I called you after that meeting, but I was listening to a Rob Bell podcast about how to grow a backbone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at that meeting, someone told me after the meeting, like, uh, you made so-and-so crosstalk you're not allowed to crosstalk in meetings or after someone talks and i just looked at this person and i was like i am not that powerful yeah and i just had my back up straight i just listened to rock bell and she looked stunned you know and i said i'm not that powerful i can't make him i can't make him crosstalk right <laughs> That's on that's not on me and um and she says well you did it with my share you you when you shared you shared you know you were talking from my share And then I was actually kind of being a bitch, Sandra. I'm not saying I was my highest self this day. I'm just going (laughs) to, but I was like, I don't listen to your shares. (laughs) I meditate when you talk because I I hear the same thing over and over. So again, just because I go to 12 step, I'm a work in progress, (laughs) right? (laughs) But these, these, that exchange was an invitation for me to look at why I was reacting that way to that person. I shut that person out for six months. And every time I'd go to a meeting, that person would sit by me for those six months. I was pissed. I would leave the room. I would go get tea. I would just like, whenever they shared, like I was being, I was acting like I was 12 years old. And then eventually, you know, the 10th month came and we talked about daily amends. And I was like, I actually need to make amends to this person. The only one I'm making miserable is me. Every morning when I come here, I make myself miserable for an hour. Because I was so just you know unsettled, right? And then when I made amends, it did go away. It's it's I know it's not a magic (laughs) program, but it just kind of it taught me a lot about myself and why am I going to argue with a woman who's considerably older than me? Why would I be mean to that person? Why would I huff and puff when they sit next to me? And then it was at that point that I was like, oh, now I can speak up to someone. Outside of these rooms, Mm -hmm. maybe do it with a little more grace, (laughs) (laughs) right? Not be as catty as I was. Um, Maybe I'll be heard. So again, it's just it's just like a place, like a classroom for me that I just kind of practice. Right? Yeah, I think
0: I've I've said this before, but one at one meeting a long time ago, there was a guy there that I had never seen before, and I haven't seen him since. But after the last serenity prayer, um, instead of saying, cause he led the meeting that day, instead of saying, keep coming back or whatever, he said, all right, now let's see if this shit works at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. it. <laughs> right? So, so in the during the pandemic, I have gone to a meeting almost every single day. So it's been 160 days. So f- you know, a long time. A five, five, six months we're working on here. Um, it works well. It worked well for me for the first 120 days. It's been a challenge these last 40 days. That's okay because I'm going to stay and take the nuggets I need to from it. And um, and it's not for everybody. And, uh, these zoom formats have really helped me. I've been joining those 24 hour a day, international women's meetings, um, at all different hours of the day this month. And, um, it's for the month of August. So by the time this airs, it'll be over, but that's been helpful for me too, to kind of just do a fine tune, just get a little, little hit of AA and hear and hearing other women completely inspires me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. I have a nut, one more question
0: for sure. you and this, I hope this doesn't catch you off guard, but I mm. think it'll help our listeners who might be in the same position. Okay. So, you're training for gray area drink coaching with Jolene Park. Um, do you think that being in an AA and being a recovery coach for hire does that conflict for
1: you in any way? I thought about that, Sandra. Um, not not at great length, but I did think about that. <clears throat> I have I had not quite understood what gray area drinking was, and I have a little bit of a clearer picture now. For me, I had to have Jolene just break it down for me. It, it's for people who are not physically addicted. So basically, people on the spectrum who are not physically addicted to alcohol, right? And usually, high functioning women like like we are. Um, I don't have that experience of being a gray area drinker because I was physically addicted mm-hmm. in the end. Right. So for me, I was wondering like, who am I to coach this? Who am I to share this and, and charge money for it. Right. Because a being of service has always been an AA, something that you do for free. So right. I will continue to sponsor the women that I sponsor in my program and I will also be a coach for hire for women who that program doesn't speak to them. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't feel like I have any conflict, but I will say I wish the term and the idea gray area drinking, um, was known to me when I was a gray area drinker. I wish it had been a a, a resource to get off the elevator when it was going down. (laughs) Like I wish I could have gotten off on that floor. So I'm kind of excited about that, that, Even though my story is different, uh, I feel like I can help women, which I like being of service. I also am going to be a single woman trying to support myself. And when I was trying to do all these other things, Sandra, it was like, it's right in front of me. Mm -hmm. You and I do this podcast as an act of service, right? It's a, we, we talk to women in all different ways that they recover and different modalities and we're interested. And um it's it's it just speaks to me to to help women and so yeah i don't know i i'm working on my packages and my pricing and that has been something that i'm like huh you know uh but not i think but not because of aa it's been just more because of my worth what am i worth what is okay. my worth right right yeah, but so not because of aa
0: Mm-mm. you don't feel like yeah you don't feel any sort of conflict there that that
1: Um, not yet. Yeah. I haven't really started yet though. So (laughs) we might circle back to this on a future podcast, but yeah. Yeah. But I like that. I continue to, to dig and do the work just like you do. And just like many women in our, in our our community do, I'm inspired by other women. I'm inspired by how they recover. And if it's not 12 step, that's okay. I want to know how you do it. I want some of that, (laughs) you know, I think it's valuable to, um, um, to just stay open and try things, and I think if people do want to try a twelve step program, this is a great time with zoom you don't have to have you don't have to walk into a meeting and feel like you're on fire right you Turn your screen off, you can turn go on mute and then you can just listen. maybe something will resonate, you know maybe it won't maybe it's not for you that's okay um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, you don't have to turn your video on even right I mean right. I- I haven't been to a, a Zoom AA meeting, but I would yeah. assume that you don't even have to turn on your video.
1: Yeah, not at all. You can just sit there and listen. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, not not say anything. You can just listen. I feel like it's a great um, way to just check it out. But I'm not promoting AA. So this whole thing, uh, this works for me. And right. um, and even with that, I question a lot of things. But I, I take what I want and I kind of do have to leave a lot at the door mm-hmm. and and I've learned to speak up in meetings in a way that um, I'm hoping it helps another woman in there.
0: I, yeah, I mean, Tammy, you have a really good, you have a solid beautiful recovery that um, is admirable and inspiring and um You're just a good model for, um, you're a good model as a sober, dignified woman. And I know that a lot of women look up to you and the way you, um, you do recovery.
1: Mm. You had to make me cry at the end of this, didn't you? (laughs) I love you, friend. I'm so glad we Mm -hmm. found each other. And I respect how all women recover and I have to say I had some fear years ago of people doing it differently. I don't feel that way now. Yeah, you're right. I, yeah. I
0: mean, I, I said that as well, I definitely had, uh, yeah, I had a lot of, um, judgment about how people recovered, but I don't feel that way anymore either. That's the beauty of recovery, right? How do you, how do you right, when the ship is sinking, how do you swim
1: to the shore?
0: <laughs> However yeah. you
1: get there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, nobody, yeah, you just got there. You saved your life. You saved your own life. So it doesn't yeah. matter if you swam or you took a dinghy or you got a ride on a speedboat. Doesn't matter. Right. You, you saved your own life. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that sounds dramatic to me. Like I, I don't say it often enough. Uh, because it feels uncomfortable for me to say it, but it is true. I did save my own life. Yes. And thank God, because it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And it's not easy. And I have hard days and hard things happening in my life, but I'm so grateful that I don't numb myself out and poison my body with alcohol anymore. I'm just grateful.
0: Yes. Yes. Life will always be... Lifey, as they say.
1: That's right. But you have a
0: hundred percent chance of of getting through your day, right? And without picking up, Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think we have to wrap up. We're yeah over here. But um, I love doing this with you, Sandra. Um, you have what I want. Right. And I love that we are a little bit different and I like watching how you recover. And I, I take bits and pieces from that too. And I do it from everybody that's in our community. You know, I even tried knitting, you know, at a knitting circle, (laughs) I'll try it all. And I'll, and, and I can, I feel confident in saying what doesn't work for me, you know, knitting didn't work for me, but that's okay. (laughs) I love those ladies. So I'm going to go and pretend knit with them all the time.
0: Right. And the gift,
1: of dis- the
0: gift of discernment as you, um, you recover is that's such a gift. You
1: yeah. begin to know what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah. And I think if anybody listens to this, I think the parting thing I want to say is that if you ever have any questions, like we have our secret Facebook group, we have some really wonderful supportive women, all of them, everybody in there. It's such a positive space, um, that stays in solution. And it is very um, open and helpful. And so, if you want to join that secret Facebook group, you can reach out to Sandra or myself on Facebook and we'll add you. And um, you can share your creative forays as well all week long. You know, if you make money from your creative forays, we have a special Friday day that you can share, you know, and pro- self promote. It's a really beautiful space online. It really is. I'm
0: so, I'm so proud of that space that we've created.
1: Yeah. Zero drama and very um nurturing and positive, and not in a sticky sweet way. Like it's real.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
1: just supportive. It's 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 everything I love about sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, thanks for interviewing me, Sandra. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I was I, hope- I wasn't nervous like I was the first time you interviewed me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope that um, I hope you guys like.
1: This little two-part series. Yeah. And um, when this airs, I'll be turning fifty the next day. Uh I'm so excited. It's a good. It's a good birthday. It's a good birthday. Yes, you're right. Yep. yep. All right. All right. Go get back to whatever the heck we're creating, making, doing, recovering. Let's go do all the things. Yep. All right, friend. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers, Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.